Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I'm Brittany Lombos. I'm Hannah Rassinen. And I'm James Cohn. We are recording in James and Hannah's living room in Mid-City, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. I'm going to start this episode the same way I always do. Have y'all been to any interesting countries lately? <laughs> <laughs> the time old question. Yes. I got back from Portugal on the 6th of March. So this is like my first time in like movie universe since then. So it is It is good to be back. You just brought me some novelty merch from my favorite Marilyn Monroe movie, Don't Bother to Knock. <laughs> yes. So there is a huge flea market in Lisbon that happens on Saturdays. And I was like the first person to go. I was waiting for it to open up so I can go digging. And there was a table full of smut. Hell yeah. And that was sort of in the middle. And I freaked out and was like, yeah, Brandon needs this. So <laughs> I'm very happy about that. Yes. It looks like a smutty novel cover. It does. It's all like plastered on a... Like it's a random piece of wood and or it's something. Yeah. The, the saddest, like most melodramatic, like role that yeah. she's probably ever done. But she <laughs> looks like she would be, um, like a total bimbo in it, like a Betty Page type or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What else did you do out there? I just kind of farted around. Yeah. Nice. You know, I didn't do. I'm like, I, there were certain things I really wanted to do, places I really wanted to see. So I like did that, and then I just sort of moseyed around and just relaxed, which was nice. Nothing super crazy happened. Everything went swimmingly. So, yeah. Well, you've been back a minute. Have you been watching movies since you got back? So, unfortunately, I haven't been watching as many movies as I probably should because I've been catching up on all these Real Housewives series of course. <laughs> that yeah. I couldn't get access to. Priorities. <laughs> right. My priorities. <laughs> like, Landon, I was like, all right, put on New Jersey now. <laughs> I'm four episodes behind. I'm losing it. But I did watch a really cool film on the plane so i i took iberia airlines from the u.s to get there and there's a bunch of spanish movies on the flight and i saw this really cool argentine like dark comedy horror movie called fin fin day it's weekend in spanish i'm I'm not i don't know how to speak spanish Mm -hmm. i don't know how that like is enunciated but it's fun as shit this is like such a cool movie um and it's about this couple living in the city and it's during the pandemic and they're like kind of, it's a small apartment. They're like living in the studio and they're like, God, we're driving each other crazy. Let's like find this like countryside villa that we can go and like spend the weekend at just to get out. So they go to this villa and the couple that owns it are there and they're not supposed to be there. And they're like, yeah, well, I mean, we're here. Do you mind if we just stay and like hang out with you guys? Mm. And at first they're like, no. But then like they're like, oh, we're going to make a steak dinner for you. And here's some wine. And they keep giving them gifts and like just being these like ultimate like gracious hosts. And the couple's just sort of like, okay, this is kind of cool. They're giving us all this free food. This is awesome. And then like they start to show their true selves like the guy that owns the villa is this like twisted doctor who's been like uh who's lost his license for like malpractice and like makes really bizarre comments and is like this total sociopath and his wife keeps alluding to being having like an evil twin What? (laughs) (laughs) and um i don't want to give too much away but i don't know how many people are gonna watch this but I think everybody should watch this. It it was such a good mix of like mystery and gore 
and humor. Cool. That was so great. And the the woman who plays in this movie, um, her name is Melina uh, Pichot. She's a like a big like Argentine comedian, and she even has like a Netflix comedy special. Oh, um, cool! But she was so funny in this movie. Just like she has all these like really witty remarks, and it's like every time they get to the point where they're like, "God, these people are fucking weird. We got to get the fuck out of here." They're like super polite, so they're like, "Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. we're we're cool with this. So we'll stay." It kind of reminds me of like speak a, no evil, yeah, like a barbarian, but in a speak no evil. Yeah. In general, you seem to like Airbnb style like <laughs> horror movies where like you know these yeah. like vacation spots are like double booked for nefarious well, reasons. And I love those <laughs> kind of social horror like yeah. you want to be polite and not yeah. upset people and you know your personal boundaries are getting pushed and yeah. So that's that sounds really cool. It it had that and it also had a little bit of like get out energy where you just mm-hmm. kind yeah. of trapped whenever you realize like the truth truth and you're like, holy fuck, I gotta get what out of here. I got yeah. myself into yeah. yeah, that sounds awesome. So uh it's very good. Um that's probably the coolest thing I've watched lately that is not um the current season of the Real Housewives of New Jersey, which has been <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Um well, Hannah, what have you been watching lately? So um I have two Things to talk about. One very quickly, I watched a short film of The Little Mermaid, which was uh, made in Russia, directed by Ivan Aksenchuk, and it's an animation. Uh, it's an animated short film, and it's just really beautiful. And I watched it in part to like prep for the episode that we're doing today. And it's the animation looks like a combination of this like cut paper and ink and it just has these like really beautiful vibrant um settings and like beautiful contrast between the blues of the ocean and these like pops of red and they're really interesting stylistic choices like the waves um are made of this like kind of mesh material so they're semi like transparent it's very cool and the thing that i really liked about it is that the setting is in copenhagen and there are these tourists that are getting this talk from a tour guide about the Little Mermaid, and that's where the Little Mermaid statue is. So the tour guide is telling the story from the perspective of, like, this is a love story. And then there are these fish, like, hanging out in the bay, and they're like, these humans don't know anything. Like, mermaids are real, and this isn't a love story. This is, like, a tale of caution, basically, because the um, Little Mermaid rises up and tries to like get with the prince and and she's totally doomed so it was just fun to see this like short little film that's grappling with different interpretations of one story is there like a vintage animation collection on criterion channel or something lately because i feel like you've been like bringing up more and more stuff like this yeah actually i saw this one on youtube cool and i've just been trying to kind of knock off a lot of animated films and also like folktale films i really love fairy tales so i just thought like why not dive into that yeah. it's your jam like it's I totally like my jam you're the resident like fairy tale folklore <gasps> film expert oh my gosh thank you <laughs> that's totally undeserved but i appreciate it um but yeah i really really liked this and there are a couple of versions on youtube and some of them seem like they're it's like they're dubbed in english but they don't match the original so it's the I watched one that's in Russian and then like has subs. I, I just want to say real on on an aside, 
I have been to Copenhagen and I've seen that little mermaid yeah. statue. It is one of the most underwhelming <laughs> tourist attractions you will ever see. Like people are lining up to see it and it's just like this little thing. It's pretty. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty. Imagine yeah. life before TV and the radio though, you know, like I you guess. lit your imagination on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that would have lit anyone's imagination on fire. <laughs> but I really recommend watching. It's like half an hour and it's really beautiful. The one thing is the sea witch um, design is really stupid. She's like this big red fish. I was really upset about that. <laughs> but I, I really, really liked it. Uh, and then probably the best movie I've seen this year and in a long time was The Cremator who's actually, it was directed by the same man that directed the film that I picked for this episode, which I didn't realize until after I'd watched this movie. Yeah, I found that movie this week on Letterboxd because I watched, you know, the assignment today. Yeah. And then clicked through just like, what what else has he directed? And I saw you had just reviewed this yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. I'd I never was, heard of it otherwise. And I loved, I loved this movie. And I was just like so pumped to find out it was the same person. Uh, so I've been watching a lot of check new wave films in general i watched uh daisies oof love that one yeah it's so good and then uh a re- i can't remember what exactly it is it's like a report at the of the attendees of the party or something like that which i didn't love so much but this so the cremator has been on my watch list for like two years and i had really no idea what it was about it's a holocaust film but it's set in the 1930s and the main character is this Czech cremator. And he is obsessed with the idea that cremation relieves you of earthly suffering, like death in general relieves you of earthly suffering, but cremation like brings you to dust. So it's it's like more godly than being buried. So he's like really into cremation. He's just kind of, he's kind of a rich freak. And he doesn't have like really strong moral convictions otherwise and he starts to like develop this relationship with this powerful german man who slowly starts to kind of like infect him with nazi ideology so the first scene you see with them they're having dinner together and he's like oh we've prepared this fish in the check way and like i love my czech family he has a wife and two children. And this German man is like, oh, but, you know, what about your German blood? You know, your German blood is like the strongest, like a stronger part of you. And he's a little uncertain about that. But he like, brings that into the fold of his worldview over the next few scenes. And it just kind of keeps escalating and escalating until his love of cremation and his belief in the relief from suffering combines with Nazi ideology in a really disturbing way. So this movie is beautifully shot. It's black and white. The editing is so interesting. There are these scenes where like, you'll think that he's in one scene and then it transitions into the next scene kind of seamlessly. Like there's a scene where he's at this circus exhibit with these like venereal diseases and then he rolls up his sleeve and suddenly he's in the doctor's office it's like almost like feels like time travel or something um there's this combination of like intense wide shots and close-ups that it feels like really disorienting and dreamlike yeah a lot of like fisheye lens yeah stuff and 
I thought that it was such an interesting... So it was George um, Hertz, who's the director, is a Holocaust survivor. And I thought it was really interesting that this film focused on not like specifically the Nazi elites or like Jews that were suffering during the Holocaust, but this like middle ground of people that are just kind of like swayed into supporting this like horrific fascism. Um, and also there isn't really a lot of violence in the movie, but it really communicates the horrors of the Holocaust like extremely well. So I've, I thought it was like absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And Hannah told me, she was like, this is your kind of movie. Like you got to see it. And you were a hundred percent right. It's like a weird mix of like, like David Lynch and like last year, Marion Bod and like weird, surreal dreamlike cinematography. And with this like political kind of satire and the main guy is like, creepy but it's also like kind of funny there's a lot of humor throughout and there's one scene in particular towards the end where there's like he's giving a speech in front of a Hieronymus Bosch painting who I love and people are like being sucked into the painting like their souls are going into the it's one of like the coolest scenes I've seen in like years might be in my top 10 like of all time. That sounds really cool. And it's like, yeah, it's dark and twisted and funny. And I, I just, I loved it too. There's a lot of cinematography of oil paintings in the movie he directed that we're talking about later yeah. this episode too. Mm -hmm. But he does, I noticed between the two films, he doesn't really have like a distinct style from film to film. It feels like he just does whatever works for the film. Something uh, Brittany and I found out when we were, we did a whole Czech New Wave episode a few years ago. Oh, did you? Because Brittany went to Prague. Yeah. Oh, I love mm -hmm. Prague so much. Yeah, I went to Prague and I stayed with this man who was like an extra in movies. Like that's what he did for a living. And like the night before I left, he was just like super relaxed, like in his underwear at four in the morning. He's like, hey, so uh, what do you know about Czech film? <laughs> and then we talked for like four hours about it and I got like all these great like recommendations and oh i went home God. and like watched them all and then i'm like we have to do an episode on this mostly for little tick that was a different episode <laughs> was that a different episode yeah, we, we did, did valerie and her week of wonders yeah and daisies and daisies and yeah daisies. I, daisies I need to see and you, yes. you did kolia kolia which yes. is not check new wave at all uh, <laughs> but just check yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it was good i liked it a lot but what i discovered when we were doing that episode was that basically all of the people in that industry, like their parents were like in film and television before they were, and they were kind of like, yeah, all nepo babies <laughs> in the modern parlance, yeah. and uh, yeah. they all worked on each other's stuff. So like they would have directed movies that like had basically the same crew rotating in and out. Mm -hmm. So it was like a larger, more collaborative art form than like an auteur based one I think yeah so like from movie to movie it's not like a person's singular vision as much not like a big country either like so it's kind of like it makes sense that there's like a lot of like a lot of the films too is based on like a book that's written by like one of the guys who's producing it's like great uncle like there's a lot of that yeah i didn't realize you already did a check because that was going to be my other option for there's the next. so there's much more to do there's a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah i would yeah. like to barely do scratch the surface more yeah more in the future part two I was actually going to bring it up later. Like we've been doing this for so long that like we could go back to so many topics and like sure just pick more movies. I don't know. I would yeah, like to do another check. All of it. New yeah. wave because 
like me and Hannah have been kind of watching them together and it's a great group of films. Yeah, I feel like they're just so like politically interesting and they're from I mean, from what I've seen so far, they're they're dark but also very playful and experimental in a way that's very exciting. Like I don't I mean this might be kind of blasphemous, but I've enjoyed the Czech new wave films. I've watched more than the French new wave. <laughs> films i don't know i i need to dig deeper into both of them but it's like a really really exciting i mean movement. daisy's alone is the kind of movie that when you watch you're like i didn't know movies could do yeah, this and i exa- want all movies to be this fun so, and play yeah play. like really remember that um the feast yes scene yeah oh, it's so good uh, it's a good one yeah well and speaking of check new wave um one that i watched the other night was the fireman's ball which was milo's foreman who went on to direct one flew over the cuckoo's nest amadeus like a big director in the States. We did Loves of a Blonde from him on this podcast I haven't seen before. that one. You'd like it. Um, this was his last film he did in the Czech Republic before essentially having to leave because they were cracking down on free expression. And it's like a pretty funny satire of just the incompetence of bureaucrats, uh, you know, and communism. And there's not like really any characters. It's just these group of firemen who are putting on this ball to celebrate this older guy, you know, retiring and they're going to give him a gift. And it's just utter incompetent. It's like kind of screwball. They're putting out little fires everywhere. Like they have a, like a miss fireman's ball and they're trying to figure out how do they judge the girl? Should they judge them by their face or their legs? And then the incompetence of like, who are we going to pick? Oh, this guy wants his daughter to be in there, but she's kind of ugly. But we got just like a really kind of very on the nose. Like when you have a group of like old men trying to like run a government or run anything and there's competing interests, they have no idea what the fuck they're doing. And there's like a really funny scene where they have this like raffle of like a hundred different items that people have donated and throughout the film, like they're getting stolen. And apparently, like the Simpsons ripped this joke off or did an homage to it, where towards the end of the movie, this guy that lives across the street, his house burns down and they're incompetent. So they just watch it burn. <laughs> and then he's like in his jammies and they bring him over to the ball and they're like asking everyone for their raffle tickets back. They're like, come on, guys, like his house burned down. Let's give them all the the gifts we have but everyone it's all been stolen except for a few gifts so they're like all right guys we're gonna turn the lights out (laughs) and everybody that took a gift just go and like return it you know and the lights come back on and everything's gone (laughs) (laughs) apparently simpsons did a version of that at moe's tavern that's funny similar joke but it's that kind of humor like just guys running around like chickens with their head off just gross incompetence and it's really like kind of a slice of life because there's no professional actors. Apparently they, Milo's foreman like came across this actual fireman's ball and he was like, whoa, this is like, these people are interesting. And he like hung out with them for like a few weeks, just drinking beer and talking and decided to like recreate it with a film crew. And so it feels very like authentic like just a bunch of Czech people drinking beer, having a good time, getting rowdy. Yeah. And then these guys trying to corral and like make the event run smoothly and they're doing a terrible job. So I don't know, like 
I find those kind of situations funny. And this was like a good, good version of that. So yeah, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. Again, I like the Czech New Wave. I know Milos Foreman is like one of the big guys in that movement. That does remind me of Loves of a Blonde a little bit because in that one, there's um this big like dance that's like set up by the factory where all these like girls work that are in this like separate dormitory from like all the men who do factory jobs. Mm-hmm. They set up this big like banquet hall dance to like get them to like kind of hook up. <laughs> it's like an opportunity for social interaction between the genders. And like that's the main set piece of that movie is this very long like weird interaction between men and women in this big like it's a workplace situation but it's also like super informal and drunk and um, yeah it gets really raucous and slaps to comedy yeah. Th- this gets very raucous too yeah very sounds pretty similar uh well what about you brandon what you been watching uh, i've been relying a lot on repertory screenings around town because i feel like new release wise like it's pretty dead out there like there's not really a lot i want to see in theaters right now and New Orleans has kind of like a limited repertory scene. Like I saw Cleo from five to seven at mm-hmm. uh, French film fest a couple weeks ago. And you can go to like AMC theaters for like the fan favorites or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like besides festivals at the broad in the Britannia, they play like maybe one or two things a week and you just have to know when to go. They actually played fireman's ball at Wildwood. Ooh, cool. Uh, a few weeks ago. That's like, Every Thursday at Canal Place Britannia, they they don't announce it till the week of. I don't know how like legal, quote unquote, these screenings <laughs> are, but like they'll play cool stuff like The Devils or Muriel's Wedding or that Milos Foreman What's movie. Wildwood. I don't know. It's just this screening series that happens to be at Britannia. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's like purely repertory, and it is once a week uh-huh. on a regular schedule. But otherwise, you just kind of have to like keep a lookout. This week at the Broad. They played two 4K restorations of John Carpenter movies, Ooh, um, and I went to cool. the one for um, Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976, a movie that I remember vaguely having watched before, but like it's been so long that like watching it in a theater I thought would make it more vivid, and I, it did. Like I had a great time. Mm-hmm. I will say, I've seen three or four John Carpenter movies in the theater um, over the past, let's say, 10 years. And they all started either 10 p.m. or midnight, and I'm a sleepy boy. <laughs> it's, it's very hard to stay awake for these movies. Uh, most recently, The Broad also played The Fog, and I was really struggling to keep my eyes open during that one. Um, Assault on Precinct 13 actually reminded me of The Fog, even though it's not a supernatural movie. But um, it's this police station under siege where um, basically these hyper-violent gangsters in L.A. are like, shooting at this police station from all sides it's his last night in operation so it's like a liminal space in transition and kind of like the fog how like how those ghosts just sort of emerge from the mist yeah uh, and there's just more and more and more of them these gangsters just sort of keep emerging out of like impossible places (laughs) and like there's too many of them for it to make any sense and like it's almost supernatural even though it is just like a cops versus criminals shootout I think going to see his movies in the theater, like restored, quote unquote, the most I get out of it isn't really visual. It's like hearing his synth scores over like a digital loudspeaker, like makes the movies sound so much cooler mm-hmm. than they do on my like shitty little TV yeah. speakers at home. <laughs> and in this one, besides the sort of like halfway supernatural angle, what I really appreciated was that the uh, main criminal that they have to let out of the jail cell to help them shoot back at like the evil gangsters outside is basically doing a John Wayne impersonation. <laughs> like this is a very like Rio Bravo style of like siege movie. And 
I actually liked that archetype in this film. Like it worked really well in this setting. This urban setting made the like the Western siege format work better for me. Mm. I just thought it was like, if not his best movie, like I, I would never put it above his like horror movies, but like it might be his coolest. Cool. Like, it's just like a really cool punk era dead cops versus like um, you know, really vicious criminals who will like shoot a little girl getting an ice cream cone just for fun yeah like, it's like a really like <laughs> violent vicious movie that like has a very cool synth score and just a, a cool laid-back attitude i don't know i did go home and rewatch some scenes on tubi to make sure i did not fall asleep sounds like you need a coffee enema i really do <laughs> the theater i did the exact opposite stop at I- coffee but I feel like that's like right. that will keep you up, yeah, all night. You don't have to keep drinking. That's right. That's right. I need to keep that in mind when we do overlook that. Like, I need right. um, coffee and not what I did have before. Was a giant plate of nachos and a margarita. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh god, right. yeah, that's gonna that's get it. you to a different you, place. You did offer. You're like, you want to come to this movie? I was like, looking at the time. I was like, yeah. man, this thing ain't gonna get out before midnight. Right. The time and the temperature. <laughs> I was like, oh, it will be chilly. Um, speaking of overlook. I think we're all going this year for at least some part of it. We'll do a recap, Uh, but it is at the end of the month and there is repertory stuff in there. They're doing a 30th anniversary screening of matinee, which is my favorite Joe Dante movie Um, tied into that. They're doing the tingler at the Britannia uptown, which I think might include the William castle, like buzzers in the seats. Whoa. I love the tingler. Um, They're also doing, I think like a 30th anniversary of, um, David Cronenberg's Dead Zone. Mm. Oh, cool. I love Dead Zone. Yeah. So good. So yeah, they're doing like repertory stuff as a part of that festival as well. And I think that's a great resource if you're kind of tired of like only watching new releases on the big screen. Like keep an eye out. There's only two theaters in town. There's the Britannia and the Broad. Just check their schedule every week and there's usually something mixed in there. Yeah. Yeah. I love Overlook. It's the best festival that comes to the city and they're playing a bunch of good old stuff mixed in with the new stuff as well. I want to say they're doing the... Alfred Hitchcock, The Lodger, which is a silent film, but with a live score too. Hmm. I don't know. They're doing a bunch of like just cool screening. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, we are going to continue to talk about older cinema today. We're talking about fairy tales. Yay. Um, some from the 90s, some from longer ago. Yes. A topic we've done before, but we've narrowed it down to fairy tale horror this time. Yeah. Spooky versions. Right. Of already spooky tales. Yeah. Some of them lean harder into the horror than others, uh, which I'm sure we can talk <laughs> in, about yeah. as we go Different along. Ways, Different ways. Different directions. <laughs> yeah, fair. yeah sure. true. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. Through the ages, a myth is told of an evil creature that feeds on the souls of children. No, and the only way to destroy him is to call out his name. Um, So our topic for the movies we're going to be talking about is dark fairy tales. And I picked it, totally forgot that I picked it. (laughs) But now I remember the reason that I picked it is because I wanted to find some excuse to make everybody watch the 1995 classic Rumpelstiltskin. So um, I think I'll just pull this out of my back pocket because I'm like, yeah, Dark fairy tales. We're all gonna watch Rumpelstiltskin. It's gonna be great. <laughs> um, but there was sort of this uh, time in like the mid '90s that there were a lot of fairy tale movies that were made into like shitty horror movies, and they were all like straight to VHS. 
And I remember all of the covers vividly from like going to yes. the video rental store. I, I remember seeing this at like major video. I never uh-huh. got to watch it, but the cover. It's like I pulled him it, I like, like, oh, that's sort of like The Shining guy. where he's like peeping out of the crack yeah. of a door. Um, but yeah, this was one of them. Uh, Leprechaun, uh, Pinocchio. There was mm-hmm. like, that spooky Pinocchio movie. Um, another one we're going to talk about later. Yeah. Would it be weird if I mentioned it now? No, go for it. Snow White. Yeah. A Tale of Terror. <laughs> also, uh, Leprechaun directed by the same guy who directed Rubble yeah. Stiltskin. Yeah. It's uh, his specialty. <laughs> <laughs> so there was just this this heyday, and I was I was too young to rent them on my own, and I had to like get you know, my older cousin to get it for me or, um, you know, catch my mom on a good day so I can like rent these. But I was very into them. They scared the shit out of me as a kid. They still kind of freak me out now, but in different ways. But yes, Rumpelstiltskin, it is Mark Jones directed. Um, who, Mark Jones, like Brandon said, gave us Leprechaun. And it was produced by the creators of Scooby-Doo. So that's why huh. there's, that's why it's a little wacky <laughs> yeah. and a little silly. Um <laughs> So that makes sense, right? <laughs> so Rumpelstiltskin opens up and we're in like the 1400s. There's a group of villagers who are getting ready to, to kill Rumpelstiltskin. And he's got this little baby with them. And he's like, it's mine. She promised it to me. Can I specify that we're in the 1400s, quote unquote, somewhere in Europe? Which is what the title card says. Which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> yes. All Europe's pretty much yeah, the same. Yeah, it's the same. It's a country, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Rumpelstiltskin is like, it's my baby, it's mine. And the, the mother's trying to take it away. The villagers are trying to take the baby away. And <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin has this um, gift of strength. <laughs> and he grabs <laughs> one of the villagers and like lifts him up and gouges one of his eyes out with his nasty little, you know, ghoul hands claws yeah and pokes out the eyeball and the eyeball's still moving um on his little hands very disgusting and awesome and the village witch turns him into a jade figure puts a curse on him and it's this disgusting like sculpture where it's supposed to look like him a little bit but when you initially look at it it looks like an organ like always thought like a heart or something brainy or like some kind of intestines. I don't all know. I, all I know is it's not if pretty. I, if I saw it at a thrift store, I wouldn't buy yeah. it. Yeah, right. Like nothing about that. <laughs> yeah, is beautiful. And also, like later, you see the person who buys it. You see their apartment, and I'm like, why did this appeal <laughs> to this you? This is not Dude. fit with the rest of the decor. Right. Maybe that's like a magic thing. Like, yeah, it's that like it calling out to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure. it just looks gross. It looks like yeah. a solidified like organ or yeah, like piece a, of poop from right. like ancient history. It does look like <laughs> ossified poop a little bit. It does yeah. look like shit. Green lumpy. Yes. So the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the he becomes the green lumpy shit stone and he's thrown into the sea. Fast forward to the 90s. Um we're hanging out with a good old cop and his buddy and this cop has a wife who is pregnant and is like a month away from giving birth. And while they're chatting on the phone, there's a criminal who is trying to steal a car from a woman who, like, just put her baby in the car seat. So there's this super dramatic, like, I mean, lifetime eat your heart out scene where she's like, my baby, no, no, my baby. And then he's like, you know, super cop and points his gun at the guy. And we have this 
really bad slow motion scene of like a shootout where the cop gets shot like three or four times, doesn't die, but musters up the strength to like shoot this guy in the back and then in the back of his yeah, head and blow his brains out. His brains out. <laughs> I was, it was like pretty vicious. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> it was pretty intense. Um, but yeah, he dies. His wife is widowed. Her name's Shelly. And <laughs> her baby is a uh, baby John. Which they had a whole conversation about naming him a flower. A flower. <laughs> They came up with a really badass name, and then they didn't use it. Thorn. <laughs> well, she didn't like Thorn. Thorn. Hell yeah. That's a cool name. Yeah, it is a cool name. Instead of John. And Thorn would have done a lot. Thorn is more like mystical, and it would have done right. better in this like fairy tale That's spinoff. That's right. right. I agree, Brittany. Thank you. <laughs> um, so she is perusing a like curiosity shop with her friend and sees the ugly calcified shitstone that is Rumpelstiltskin <laughs> and immediately is like interested in it and I love when movies do this where the owner of the shop is like that's not for sale it's like why are you putting <laughs> why it do you out there it? bury it put it in the ground right and she's like trying to like deter this lady from like getting it or buying it which makes her want to buy it even more and it's, she's it's like, a bargaining tactic you know <laughs> right <laughs> you don't want that you can't afford that. Oh my god! See, I didn't even catch on to that. But I think she That's was being buy- no. I think no, she was so, being she was sincere. Like, no, 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 like, you, you really not- don't want that. Yeah, this is not for you. I think she has a room full of stuff that no one should have in their right. life. She's just <laughs> yeah. trying to protect no, the no, public. No. The thing, she like, did say she, it was closed. Yeah, yeah. Like so. I like antique story, but like I don't want to see cobwebs no. on shit. You know, <laughs> That's a bad sign. This product has not moved ever. This is trash. We do kind of love this woman though, right? Like she hates yeah. people. She kind of likes the baby. And otherwise, she's just like this stubborn hag. Yeah. yeah. No, she's great. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so she gives in and she, I mean, gives this woman all these warnings. So if anything, she kind of deserved what happened to her a little bit, right? <laughs> so she brings it home and does exactly what she shouldn't do. It's like the way she gets explained is like, oh, if you, it can grant a wish, but obviously if it grants a wish, it's going to want something else. Turns out um, your baby. Your baby. So she wishes for her husband to return and she wakes up in the middle of the night and her dead husband's in the shower and she's like, oh my God, this can't be him. And of course she's like butt naked and she opens the shower up and it's Rumpelstiltskin. So he's back and he never goes away. Like what I love about this movie is the minute this like little fucker comes on screen, he is always there. Yeah. We don't have to wait. There's no anticipation of like, oh my God, he's come. He's there. And he just appears everywhere. There's no rhyme or reason. Like he's in one room and then appears in the other, but then tries to bust down a door. And it's like, you don't need to. He's got the same magic powers as Dr. Giggles. He's just like always ready to pop up no matter how <laughs> it takes him to get there and he's always he's always got like seven one-liners like locked and loaded That's right <laughs> so yeah so rumpelstiltskin is like hunchbacked but always crouched and like does like um that metal crab walk as he's like yeah. that's how he yeah. walks yeah he has this really cool like jester's hat like vicious piranha teeth mm-hmm. a scary looking little fucker and he wants that baby because what he does is he sucks the souls out of babies. So he has all these really witty one-liners <laughs> and I laugh so hard at all of them. But 
he kind of goes in and out of like 1400 speak right. to oh, yeah. modern speak. <laughs> like there's this one where he's like rolling down a hill like on fire and he's like, oh, fucketh me. Yeah. Fuck fuck it's me. me. Fucketh me is my favorite line of the whole That had movie. me howling. I was yeah. like, I was like, I need to like integrate this into my everyday. It's like, so, it's so half-assed. Like some scenes he, he says everything with like a thee and thine, like yeah. things just sort of slapped and he's on it. he's calling everyone a bitch. Right. And he's like, yeah, and he's obsessed with like horseless carriages thine chariot hath no horses (laughs) but then like his arm will get torn off his body and then give the middle finger a salute and it's like yeah or call someone a bitch like (laughs) it's really a mismatch it's a little bit a little bit of chucky thrown in there yeah yes that's that's a really good uh comparison so yes it's a he's a little 14th century with a little bit of 90s um somehow knows how to drive (laughs) right perfectly just operates a semi (laughs) i know how to drive a semi Ah, ride forward, my chariot. He knows how to ride a semi, a motorcycle. He can do anything. I'm a huge fan of Rumpelstiltskin on the motorcycle. Because it looks so good on him. Because it's kind of like his little outfit could be like a biker gang outfit. I only have one complaint about that scene, which is fantastic. But what's your complaint, damn it? Okay, the music in this movie is so cheap. It's like the most generic pop music you've ever heard, except for this one the random flock, flock of seagulls, seagulls Neil drop. <laughs> but like otherwise it's like And the flock of seagulls plays while he's in the semi chasing yeah. Shelly through the desert. For the ten minutes of this movie inexplicably turns into Steven Spielberg's duel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was actually my only complaint about that was like it went on so fucking long. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> it like wouldn't end. It was like it was more than 10 minutes. I feel like it was 20 minutes. Of the <laughs> yeah, movie. the third act is dual. <laughs> God. But um, the motorcycle sequence when he steals the bike from the biker. And he like, he throws the biker off the bike with his one little goblin hand. Now you've seen Problem Child 1 and 2 a few times. Uh, you're <laughs> yes. familiar with like what 90s like pop music standards should be, oh, right? Oh, Bad to the Bone. Why is it play? not Bad to the Bone? Why is it it not should bad have been Bad to the Bone. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. bothering me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um... Okay, so I love this fucking movie. The only character in the movie I don't like, and I can't think of his name. Max. Like, Max. Max. Howard Stern. He's awful. Yeah. yeah. So he sh- Max in the desert with his boat, like he's that guy, like that just is always like a. What am I supposed to do? I'm out here in the desert trying to have a good time, and you have a baby. Yeah. Like, and. He's like oh. a shock jock, like television show host that they show in the beginning briefly, and she's yeah. like, "Ugh, I hate this guy. You suck." Yeah, and that's like tw- five second scene. And, and they then- actually like gave his character an arc, which is so frustrating. Like he becomes a good guy. Like kind of. I hated that. Yeah, <laughs> like this guy. I'm just confused why the they thought they needed comic relief in a movie Didn't. where the killer only He's- cracks jokes and right. steals babies. Yeah. Like, you've already got jokes. You don't need a second guy to tell jokes. All the uh, screen time that Max had should have just been given to Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> That's the- or her friend that had that kind of, like, Shelley Duvall quality in oh, the first yeah. act. funny, I liked too. her a lot. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Very cute. Man, just trying to get laid, you know? <laughs> right. And she was laid to rest. <laughs> oh, sorry. Brutal. <laughs> so brutal. Um... So yeah, everything but Max was fabulous. And this is just a really good example of delicious mid nineties fairy tale horror. And fun B movie stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Fun B movie. And it sounds like everybody enjoyed it in some regard. I really liked it. It it reminded me of a different type of video store experience, which was 
I wasn't necessarily thinking about fairy tale movies, but yeah. I was thinking about like R-rated movies for children, which I feel like was a specific phenomenon in the yeah. 90s where like in every filmmaking aesthetic sense, like this is a children's movie. It just yeah. happens to have a main character who curses and commits horrific acts of violence <laughs> for the entire time. And I feel like there was a time in the full moon features slash trauma uh-huh. era where like these movies were being made with these like childlike sensibilities yeah. that were also like super violent and super fucked up. And like, we're just immature in a way that like, I can't imagine an adult sitting down and watching Rumpelstiltskin. Now I did this this week myself and had a great time, <laughs> but like, this feels like it was made yeah. for like a 10 year old whose parents went to bed early and yeah, they had like dude. access to the cable remote. Yeah. That is exactly yes. like, that's kind of the movies that I grew up on. Yeah. You know, with like single parents where it's just like, yeah, just watch whatever you want. I don't care. I'm going to bed. <laughs> like you said. And then this was like juvenile. Yeah. But it is still like horror. It's scary. It's pretty gross. Like the deaths are disgusting. Yeah. yeah. And there's some like genuine gore. There's like maggots that come out of his arm, his arm with middle finger. Like he gets burnt to a crisp. He oh, just yeah. keeps like, he can't die because he's immortal. He tells us that a couple of times. But like, all the shit that is done to him, like he's getting stabbed in the head, there's a broomstick going into his skull, he's getting burnt up, and he just doesn't die. There are multiple stunt actors on fire for like minutes on end on <laughs> yeah, camera. It's like really horrific. And his like nonstop desire to steal this baby is actually very upsetting. Like the fact that he's telling jokes does not distract from the fact that like he also really wants that baby for <laughs> he's like trying to kill a baby. evil purposes. I yeah. smell a baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Go away, nasty. <laughs> um but it feels more I'm glad you mentioned the full moon. Like it feels like a full moon feature. Definitely. But this this movie had like a three million dollar budget. Holy shit. Made not oh like God. not even three hundred thousand. Oh what? so what year was fuck Leprechaun made? Before this. Yes. Because I, I think I don't know. Just throwing that out there, but it feels like with the success of Leprechaun, <laughs> he was like, "I could do this again well, with another." That's a shame. Though, is Leprechaun is boring and sucks, and this is actually like a fun movie to watch. Well, the yeah. the first Leprechaun, it's like I don't know if the budget was less than this, but yeah. it's all in like kind of one location, like one house, and like Nothing Brandon happens. said, it's like not that interesting. Um, the sequels get like pretty absurd. Right. But this was like, there's big car chase sequences. But and why like, is this, like, when you think of Mark Jones or Leprechaun, we think Leprechaun, Leprechaun, like, Rumpelstiltskin doesn't make it into the mix a lot. And it's a, it's a pretty solid movie. So it's like, yeah. what made this take the back burner and get ignored with, you know. They should have featured that fuck with me line in the trailers. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> would have been gotten, lining up. Yep. <laughs> I, w- I was... So I was initially like so mad at this movie and I got re- <laughs> I got really hung up. Like I I like the Rumpelstiltskin story. So I was just <laughs> like really mad the whole because time. Because it had nothing yeah. to do with it. Yeah, I feel like all the movies that we picked <laughs> had like varying degrees of like faith <laughs> faith to the source material. Yeah. And then, well, this, this is your not. expertise. I, you know, I just said right. this. I, I wouldn't call it expertise. However, I was like, I was, he literally says in the, he's like, either you have to 
give me the baby or guess my name. And everybody knows the Rumpelstiltskin <laughs> yeah, story. That, yeah, that's frustrating. This, and yeah, and he's literally <laughs> saying his name like at the police station. He's like, tell me, Rumpelstiltskin, where the baby is. And I was like, what are you talking? And then telling him the and, name. And then, and then he's like, like wheat and fire is kryptonite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 and in a mother's arm in the graveyard. So in the graveyard, they have they get Rumpelstiltskin in this like big piece of construction equipment. It's like one of those yeah. diggers just filled with burning hay. And f- I was like, what is what is happening? Like, why does Rumpelstiltskin <laughs> have all these powers? And and I think that uh, this is so stupid. Like, this is not the. This is not the kind of movie this is. Like, it's not trying to be faithful yeah. to this source material. But I was even the, the fact that he like doesn't tell her what the deal is before she gets the wish. Like that, I don't know. It's anyway. I was like so angry about it. And then the Max character, I was like, who the fuck yeah. is this guy? guy like, fuck this. Yeah. It just made me so angry. And then, like, I was like very harsh when I rated it initially. And then. As the days went on and I was talking about it to other people and complaining, I realized that I was like it was, greatly entertained by it. Was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. You're like going to the like Star Trek nerd headspace where you're right. like, I can't believe they used a phaser yeah. in an oxygen zone. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> put the whole but, ship's life yeah, in danger. They that- didn't even have um, a wooden, um, a golden spool. Right, thread. there was, right. I was like, I, that's what I wanted from the Rumpelstiltskin. I was like, I want a modern reinterpretation of this woman yeah. who's like, hung out to dry by her father who says she can spin straw into gold and then Rumpelstiltskin comes and she makes a deal with him because of like short-term thinking and then has to so it's anyway that got in the way of my enjoyment <laughs> initially and then as I've been able to process it and accept it for what it is <laughs> and like just really enjoy Rumpelstiltskin on a motorcycle you know? <laughs> but didn't they also try to like say like oh like they were trying to make connections between Shelley and the fairy tale. Yeah. Like, your last name is Smith. Smith. Right. You're yeah. a Miller. You're a Miller's oh, daughter. Yeah. And then That's they're Smith going Mil- to, like, Bakersfield. <laughs> it's just, and it's so funny because they, like, literally pull up the fairy tale and it looks exactly like Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, it's yeah. literally him. And they're like, huh, could this be? I do want to stand up for the, like, not saying his name immediately thing, which is, like, when when he emerges in her house trying to steal the baby, he goes, say my name or I'm taking your baby. And she goes, you son of a bitch. Like, she names him right. son of a bitch instead of Rumpelstiltskin, which I thought was a very funny, like, right. one-liner. No, is, so I don't have a problem with him not knowing immediately, but once they literally <laughs> pull out the fairy tale book where, like, the downfall of this creature is to say its name and they, like, don't ever yeah. attempt to do that. I was like, what is... Anyway, that's... It's fine. <laughs> it's Okay. It was an entertaining movie. It's very good. Yeah, I, I think what I realized with this in comparison to a movie we're going to talk about later is like I'd rather a bad movie that is wildly entertaining than a well-made movie that is boring. Isn't that the entire ethos of this podcast? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's like our guiding philosophy as, as movie some, watchers. You know, in some ways, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I do think like the goofiness is its main benefit because yeah, it like – does not care about logic from scene to scene. It just cares <laughs> about inserting gags. Yeah. Um, and the thing that like made me laugh the most about that is whenever it didn't have a joke to tell or it didn't have like a connecting piece from like one action to another, they just inserted shots of the baby reacting to stuff for like an extra <laughs> like dose of entertainment. Uh. 
And that the baby was not a good actor. Baby. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, the baby was played by twin girls. Really? <laughs> yeah, they were getting swapped out. I don't so think they did a good job. They didn't do a good job. Both of them sucked. They sucked. Like their reactions didn't match what was going on. That's an on. editing problem, not a baby problem. Right. Like, oh, they were, like oh, sure. Shaking sure. a rattle off the screen. The baby was like, huh? <laughs> like, well, you could have picked some better shots than the ones you there did. There were some baby scenes where it felt like they put a baby scene and layered something on top of it where it didn't feel like it was actually in the like part of the shot. It was just random inserts of babies' faces. It had nothing to do <laughs> yeah. with the action. I don't know. I feel like they had the babies on set for like a day or two yeah, to shot a bunch of stuff and then inserted it. When yeah, necessary. they were like rumple silkskin, like put your hand like that and they're like baby behind it. Like Yeah, okay, it's it's just going. like connective tissue because they were just trying to cram as much like goofballery and as they can and that was the like connecting piece and like what really i just love the shamelessness of that and the shamelessness of rumpelstiltskin saying this ain't no fairy tale like (laughs) either for the trailer or just like to seal in the tagline like within the movie itself like it really like just has no shame about being the goofiest version of this type of movie possible me (laughs) me. god i love that reasons I wanted to play the stepmother in Snow White is that these stories, like Snow White, the husband, the father of the girl always married this dreadful woman who was cruel to the child. And I remember just thinking, I don't understand why the father is always so stupid that he marries these not just unpleasant women, but they're killers. Earlier, I mentioned that We've been doing this for a long time. We're actually hitting 200 episodes this year, which is <gasps> wild to me. Oh, my God. And what I'm thinking is, like, we've covered a lot of topics. There will be, like, more recursive topics like this. We're like, we've done plenty of fairy tale movies before. Like, last Halloween, I think, is when we did Willow and, like, a fairy tale episode mm-hmm. with, like, the singing ringing tree. Yes. Uh, around that same time, we did Donkey Skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did Gretel and Hansel. In the past, we've done The Lore, Tale of Tales, Little Otik, The Red yeah. Shoes. Um, we've also done Belle last year, which is yeah. like animated Beauty and the Beast. And we did the Jean Cocteau 40s Beauty and the Beast before. Mm-hmm. And uh, Check New Wave, we also did, um, besides Little Otik, we also did Valerie and a Week of Wonders, which yeah. has a fairy tale like yeah. feel to it as well. I'm just saying, we've, done, so we've done this topic plenty of times before, especially if we're saying like, dark fairy tales instead of like fairy tale horror it's like an even broader thing mm-hmm. but i like the idea of like doing this over and over again because i feel like we just keep digging deeper and yeah. deeper down it's like all those titles are off the table so we keep finding like even more esoteric stuff to talk about like right. further down the line yeah and that was how my pick went a little bit i was like what about this and you're like no we've we've done that right okay right. what <laughs> what about little otik no and that was how I settled on Beauty and the Beast, directed by Jiraj Hertz um, in 1979. Uh, and I think out of all of the films that we watched today, this is the most faithful to the source material. And the horror or the darkness mostly comes from like the kind of inherent darkness of this story, rather than like we're taking a fairy tale and we're twisting it into something like scarier um so this is a pretty faithful adaptation 
Um, Julie is uh, a woman living in this little village. Her father is a merchant. Her sisters are getting married. And he is transporting all of his riches over to this town to give to the um, their husbands. The caravan gets waylaid through this forest and is attacked by a beast. Um, the uh, father goes into the forest, I think, to kind of claim figure out what happened that might be wrong like i might salvage what right is there and he happens upon this castle and it it has like a roasting pig and wine and all of these jewels and he's collecting them and then he plucks a rose for his youngest daughter julie and the beast is like uh-uh that's my prized possession it's so pissed yeah and he tells the father that he can have one of his daughters come in his place, but she has to come willingly to the castle. So he returns home. Julie is just like obsessed with her dad. And he he says like, he tells his daughters that he is going to be imprisoned by the beast. And she basically like just gets on the horse immediately and runs <laughs> off to his castle. And she slowly falls in love with the beast he won't allow her to see him he like comes and visits her at night and talks to her but he won't let her look at him and he has a different design than what i'm used to he's like a little like weird bird creature which i thought was very cool he looks like a griffin yeah he does (laughs) and he looks a little silly during the day but i don't know it's also kind of sweet and the horror comes from this like really like dark, moody, kind of gothic setting. The castle is kind of decrepit and the beast is having this like internal monologue with himself. Like he's struggling not to kill her. He has like this like golem arguments with himself about what yeah. to do where like he whispers one side of his brain and like s- right. speaks in a normal voice right. the other side. Growls <laughs> you are about it. an animal. Yeah. 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 Like Venom. Yeah. Like, just like Venom. Just like Venom. <laughs> so I... And she keeps having these dreams of this beautiful prince who looks a lot like Hal from Hal's Moving Castle. I also got a lot of like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hal's Moving Castle vibes. And I mean, it, it proceeds kind of like the normal fairy tale does. And they fall in love eventually and, and everything's happy and scot-free. But I, I think this didn't really like reinvent the story i feel like the biggest deviation is just the beast not being a, a feline monster right. like, yeah, like the hey, bird thing is the biggest like blew me away swerve yeah. out, out of anything and the here. talon hands like, yeah yeah kept, like Creepy putting them on everything. i was thinking about like how in the animated beauty and the beast like the beast is still pretty lovable looking yeah like, yeah like, he's a beast he's but, like, like he's very cute beast, kind of. he's a cute beast but this is not a cute beast he's we're like, like the beastliest beast in any of these yeah adaptations. we're like i can yeah. understand when you know they're in love and she turns around and she's still like oh my god like terrified like i could understand that initial shock because he it really does look on like anything that's attractive they also hide him from the audience for a long time. So like yeah. even you were like, what does he look like? Yeah. They'll just extend his like charred monster hand. Right. With, like, the I love the suspense of yeah. his yeah. like reveal. Yeah. To, I mean, to me, the thing that made this stand out was how like atmospheric and the score had a lot. Heavy minor key organs the whole yeah. time. The whole time. And I loved it. I love. And it reminded me a lot of like Twin Peaks where there's like motifs of like the same score over and over and over again and with this film it was really two 
you had the like the happy score which was one tune on the piano and then the like organ which was like the dark foreboding yeah and it just like did it over and over and it like puts you in this weird trance kind of and it, it adds this like melodrama to it and then with like how dirty and grimy the film was too, like the mud and the castle is run down. It was so beautiful. Yeah, though, like, it's really yeah. beautiful. I love. I dug it. Like the time that we spent in like the rundown castle and like the environment, like especially like those scenes where you there's just snow yeah. and like maybe like a horse or a few figures. Yeah. It was so beautiful. Yeah, there was one scene in particular where there's just one horse running yes. across this like empty field of snow yeah, that's it's so beautiful amazing yeah but like kind of on the other side of it the um the gaudiness of like you know the sisters yeah but that was fucking beautiful like their costumes were amazing and they're, yeah. they're comically awful yeah <laughs> they're uh. so greedy yeah <laughs> so funny though. it is kind of a shame there isn't like a better cleaned up version of this like commercially available mm-hmm. so we watched this yeah. on youtube yeah but like I, something where you can really see like the, it looks great but a modern scan where you could really see those like inky blacks especially yeah. with yeah. like in all these adaptations the beast has living furniture uh, so here you have people in costumes or like kind of part of the bedpost. Yeah. Like yeah. And it was hard to make like, out. As, yeah. yeah. I just wish that how cool if the darks are more defined, like I yeah. feel like I, I mean, would love this even on more. our TV when we watched it, like you could kind of see it pixelated. Yeah, exactly. In a way, like I would like a clean like 4K restoration. Because there's probably Criterion stuff that like is occurring or pieces that are there that we just probably didn't notice mm-hmm. or make weren't able to make out. Ooh, that's yeah. what I was missing when I watched uh, Assault on Precinct 13 the other day. Like, I went home and rewatched some scenes on Tubi, and I was like, honestly, this Tubi quality is pretty good. It's not that different from the yeah. 4K scan until the nighttime scenes, and you could see oh. like how pixelated the blacks were instead of just like a, a uniform. The, yeah, mm-hmm. there were a couple scenes in this where like I just didn't really know what I was looking yeah. at, and that you know that's a shame because it's a beautiful film. Yeah. Exactly, and that first part. Where, you know, her and the beast interact in the castle and, like, that chandelier is uh-huh, coming down. Yeah, the hand. Yeah, like, I had to, like, it was fucking cool. And I had to, like, rewind it a few times, like, because, well, I was watching it on my phone. But I'm like, you oh, wait, what is cinema, this? <laughs> 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 I don't care. But, like, right. Um, I am. But I was like, oh, I wanted to make it out so bad. Or I wanted to see it more vividly. Yeah. And shit, maybe I should just pull out of my teeth yeah. <laughs> this time. Yeah, but I did like I thought those scenes were still really effective. Uh-huh. And there there's that scene where she first comes to the castle and she drinks some wine and falls back on this bed and then like the it's like a coffin and the top starts descending on yeah. her. It's so horrifying. Um but it was it was just very dreamy and beautiful. I mean, I just really like this story. And I I wanted to read Beauty and the Beast, like the original story before the podcast. I didn't get a chance to, but I don't think they describe how the beast looks exactly. I'm not sure. They might. But the Disney canon has made such an imprint on my mind for all of these fairy tales. And I just really love seeing a different interpretation. Like this also is like 
closer to the source material than the Disney version is. Yeah. But just like, you know, the beast doesn't have to look like a like feline or like dog-like monster. Yeah. It's just really fun to it's play like around with that. We're in this process of unlearning the right. fake shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was wrestling with that. Like, is this my favorite version of beauty? Like, no, 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 no. The no. Jean Cocteau. The, co- the, the co- Cocteau yeah. is like, I don't know. I like the dark expressionist yeah. Stuff. I'm shutting you down. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I agree. The cocktail is like... Or that Ron Perlman version. The best version. <laughs> what I'm learning watching these movies is that you don't have to do anything to the fairy tales to darken them. Like, yeah. The straightforward stuff is fucked up on its own. And like... This movie to me is practically a remake of the Cocteau movie more so than it is an adaptation of the mm-hmm. story. Like it's got the exact same scene to scene dynamics between the beast and the girl. And like the Cocteau movie to me is like a pristine work of art. I wish I could see this in a more pristine presentation. Yeah. But like the major thing it adds to it is that design of the beast character mm-hmm. and his like internal turmoil going back and forth yeah. with himself. And otherwise, I don't think there's anything you can find in this movie that isn't in the Cocteau film. The only thing I would say is, like, I loved the score. Yeah, and the it score's great. And the layer of, like, the melodrama to it. Yeah. And how, like, filthy it yeah. was. Yeah. I liked, like, the filthiness of Very it. Very grimy. Like, yeah. That, that's why it stands out to me. Again, like, I'm not trying to say what's better or worse, but... It is unique in its like griminess. Yeah, it they definitely have a different feel. Like this one was very cold and kind of hard and then she's like this very sweet presence. And Cocteau is like that that feels so much more magical to me. It does, yeah. And yeah. I guess when I'm saying they're the same is like their dynamic mm-hmm. is kinky in the same way right. where he's like holding her hostage but pretending to be subservient to her so it's like I will do anything that I tell you to tell me to do. Yeah. Like, right. like he is like bottoming so hard. Right. Where he's like, you know, bossy, like telling her that she is like everything, but really he's in control of everything that's happening in the right. castle. And I was like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I loved about the Cocteau film. Yeah. And then reading the, I mean, admittedly the Wikipedia synopsis of the original tale, I was like, oh, actually these stories aren't that similar. Like this is like more faithful to whatever version of the story Cocteau already told. Yeah. And, I, I guess visually, yeah, there's a lot of like darker, like literally harsher, like Caravaggio style lighting yeah. in yeah. this one, um, where the cocktail is a little brighter and more like like a living tableau style, like lush, like yeah. fairy tale, like other world. Um, I really liked the long pans and like close up shots of the oil paintings too. I think yeah. like, that added a good, yeah. texture, good texture to it. But yeah, I, I wish I were more excited about it because... The presentation was a little lacking, and then also I was just reminded like of how much I loved yeah. an earlier version of the film, so that I was just mostly just fixated on the character of the beast in particular, and I feel like that's what like really made this like shine. Yeah, this just has that Czech New Wave sheen on it, yeah. and like that aesthetic applied to this story. Like it, it's a pretty straightforward formula that works very well. Yeah, and I'm really glad they did that redesign of the creature. Like that really like yeah. made it stand out on its own in the same way. Yeah, it was cool. And uh, Beauty and the Beast, scary stuff, you know? It doesn't yeah. need mm-hmm. to be tweaked. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think the Disney problem, like, hangs over a lot of these movies. Yeah. Where, like, where, like, even the next movie we were going to talk about, uh, Snow White, A Tale of Terror. You know, I expected from that title and, like, the topic, you know, that this would be a more straightforward horror take on the Snow White story. Mm-hmm. And really, it's not. It's just, like, a straightforward fairy tale. And it's just de and that's, like, what makes it 
dark. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just like that. It's and just the, a straightforward the, telling of the brick. The cover is very misleading. Yeah, yeah. The cover is. makes it look scary as shit. It makes it look like a Rumpelstiltskin style like monster and a, movie. And again, another one where I remember the cover and had never seen the movie. <laughs> Doesn't live up to the cover. I don't remember ever hearing of this until like recent perusings on Letterboxd, like just oh, really? adding things to my watch list. I, I remember seeing it at, like the video store, man. It went straight to Showtime and then straight to VHS afterwards, yeah. which is nuts. Because it seems like a fairly expensive movie. Like, it doesn't seem any cheaper than, like, Ever After with Drew Barrymore and or something. And Sigourney Weaver was in yes. it. I mean, she's a big actress. It's the Sigourney Weaver show. And it does have yeah. good, it has <laughs> yeah. good production values. Like, Yeah. I don't even really want to get into the plot here because it is, like, just the Snow White tale. Like... Well, it does promise to be very violent in the first scene because there's like a carriage yeah. overturned. Oh my god! And a horse fucking dies yeah. very brutally. Yeah. I couldn't mm. couldn't shake it. And an implied cesarean section. Yeah, that's the part that yes. threw me. Like, yeah. So like, Sam Neill's the king, and he's riding with his wife, Snow White's mother. The carriage overturns. She gets impaled, and she tells him like, "You have to save the baby. Like, please cut mm-hmm. me open and take oh. the baby yeah. out." And we don't see the gore of that, thankfully, because that would have been gratuitous. But we do see blood on snow, yeah. like pouring across the screen. Uh, so the whole screen fills with red, and then the title is over that blood. It's like yeah. Snow White, A Tale of Terror. I'm like, this movie's going to be fucked up. Yeah, I was very excited. It's really not. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from there, Sigourney Weaver plays the uh, Ice Queen witch stepmother who comes into the castle and replaces Snow White's mother. And the two of them have a very tense relationship. Uh, Snow White eventually runs away from the house because uh, her stepmother tries to have her killed um, after having a miscarriage of her own. And she meets up with seven miners who are not <laughs> not dwarves. dwarves. But one dwarf? One, yeah, just one yeah, dwarf mixed that, in there. Snow White and the seven guys. Yeah. yeah I, Six I, guys and a dwarf. That threw yeah. me off so hard. <laughs> I don't understand the point I of it. I want a bunch right. of dwarves, man. <laughs> yeah. One dwarf? And the movie's pretty straightforward for like the first hour, it feels like. It's it's very like just run of the mill, almost like wishbone level, like nineties yeah. fantasy castle aesthetics. It kind of gave me Willow vibes. Like yeah. especially with yeah. the the miners and like the relationship with her. It reminded me a lot of like Willow. But it does ramp up and then by the third act, I feel like it actually gets very fun. Cause Sigourney Weaver becomes more and more obsessed with having Snow White killed. And becomes more vicious and talks to the evil mirror version of herself <laughs> more and more. Yeah. Um, it's a yassified version of her. We're like, right. It's like a Snapchat <laughs> filter. Right. In the I was thinking of the it bold is. glamour filter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes her hair wavy and glamorous and like smooths out some imperfections. Yeah. yeah. Not a wrinkle on that face. And uh, the mirror en- encourages her to commit harsher and harsher acts of violence and like radicalizes her against her stepdaughter. And by the end, there are a few monstrous transformations where, like, she turns herself into an old hag. Mm-hmm. She cuts up Snow White's face in the castle yeah. in an ending that has nothing to do with the fairy tale. Like, they just have a showdown in the castle right. <laughs> instead of, like, the usual resolution. Yeah. And then she also resurrects her miscarried baby oh. using <sighs> Sam Neill's stolen seed. She, like, yeah. rapes him on his hospital bed and, like, steals his blood. And, like, the baby's got this little tiny... <laughs> underdeveloped oh, hand that reaches oh, out of the so nasty. it's violent and upsetting and Sigourney Weaver gets very hammy mm-hmm. in the last like 20 yeah. to 30 minutes where like I almost bailed on the movie 
mentally about halfway through and then it won me back over by the end yeah like the minute that when sam neil was upside down on the crucifix with jesus i was like holy shit (laughs) yeah we've arrived (laughs) yes sigourney weaver basically challenges god by dragging her husband's body into the church and crucifying him in front of jesus that was the scene where like when me and Hannah were watching, I was like, hell yeah. 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 We're like, seeing okay, we're Sam, back. Seeing Sam Neill, like the Antichrist, like upside down. Yeah. Cross, with, like, with her like little bowl of witchcraft stuff. Yeah. I don't even know what yeah. the hell you call that. And when it she was, was like dressed as like the, you know, the witch version, like that was yeah. all really good. And she it was shocking. Um, escalates her relationship with her warlock brother mm-hmm. to this like incestuous obsession with him. She orders him to kill Snow White and he brings back a pig heart because he didn't succeed. And she thinks that she's thinks she thinks she has like chunks of meat and a heart from this young girl. She rubs the body yeah. parts all over herself and then feeds what she thinks <laughs> is the daughter to the father um, in a stew and then turns the entire castle into these like zombified feral animals uh, mm-hmm. who are just sort of like wandering around mm-hmm. in this like gothic haunted house pretty much. Yeah. I love when she's like, she like adds something secret to the stew up and me and James were like, oh, it's paprika. You know, she <laughs> yeah. just puts this little like red yeah, yeah. spice paprika. in there. Um, yeah, I don't know. She won me over. She like yeah. really goes hard. She gets very mean, very cruel. I needed something to justify the tale of terror in the title. And I feel yeah. like Sigourney Weaver gets there. Snow White like literally just washes in the background. Like yeah. I couldn't. Don't care. I didn't care. Couldn't follow this the, girl. The stuff with the dwarves really a distraction. It was boring yeah. to me. To, like, I wish they had more personality, and I wish they were all dwarves. I don't know. <laughs> they were fully grown adults. That bothered me. Uh, I would like to clarify that dwarves in real life are also fully grown adults, men with dwarfism. Right, Brandon, stop. Stop <laughs> okay, it. Okay, just saying. Just stop it. But no, like, the middle section did, like you said, start to lose me a little bit, but it has a really good third act. Yeah. yeah. My favorite part of the story of Snow White is the the visits to by the hag to Snow White and she gives her like like a comb and a ribbon and then the apple and there are these like little signs of femininity and like transition from childhood into womanhood and this film just has the the apple part but there are a couple scenes in the middle where Snow White is with the miners and the stepmother is doing this like magic to assail her from afar so she like makes this like snow white is in the mine and she makes it collapse and then she lures her out and into the woods and like makes a wind happen and i was just like so not into any of that middle stuff like i just wanted her to interact with snow white and get all of that like cool like covert operation like like malintent happening i also feel like it was kind of lacking in some like humor or something to lighten it up yeah a yeah. little mm-hmm. bit like little it took it, it took it yeah it just took itself very seriously where it felt like i was watching like a prestige drama or something even like, sam neill can go hammy if you let him go hammy yeah i mean the wig was like the hammiest thing <laughs> yeah that was a bad wig he doesn't have much All of that effect hair. on the story yeah Yeah, I just like it was almost two hours and I felt like there was a lot of filler stuff to puff it out into like a feature length film that I really didn't care about. I feel like her transition to womanhood with the minors is like her finding a hunk criminal. Yeah. Who's like more of a manly man. 
versus the like traveling doctor that she's supposed to marry back at home. <laughs> Lame. I am yeah. glad that she didn't end well, up with him. The yeah. second I saw yeah. that traveling doctor's hair, I was like, that can't possibly be who yeah. she marries. He has this like little page boy haircut. I'm like, no. That's <laughs> yeah, not the, the dwarf or what guy that she's yeah. into is like much hotter than him. And, too, oh, totally. so. Yeah, and with that was, scar on his face. Right. Cool. Like, and that was, you know, rough. I thought that was fine. I just like it didn't really do anything for me. Like mm-hmm. I I love the like grappling with female relationships yeah. in fairy tales. The like like you versus your stepmother or like the you know, the parts of your mother that you can't idolize. Like that shit is so fun to me and I just didn't get that with like the adventure style like ah now we're in a collapsing cave and like the willow section right exactly <laughs> and then even like with like her relationships with all of the miners wasn't interesting to me yeah. I also want to point out like willow towards the end gets very gross and upsetting and like monstrous yeah, it and, does but you wouldn't call that a horror movie does this one really justify the horror genre tag it has at all like I don't know. The final showdown in Willow has like the witches fighting and like cutting each other up and yeah. like uh, transforming people into like these or grotesque is body Willow horror things. Horror. I think in, in stretches, yeah. It's got a Phil Tippett monster at it the does. castle. So I feel oh, like, yeah, the big dragon? Yeah, yeah. The movie is not scary. No. It seemed like it was trying to. The other, thing that I, at yeah, times. the other thing I didn't really care for was the like church versus witch stuff because i just feel like uh-huh. i'm always going to come out on the witches yeah. side uh, so i was like i don't really i don't know care about christianity in this movie and they have like one throwaway line that the man that snow white is in love with his family was burned alive by like the crusaders so it's like oh you know these guys are bad guys too but basically i, I felt like it was trying to be horrifying by like being an affront to Christian values, like do like focusing on the witchcraft and the like ma- like Madame Bathory, like blood stuff, and then the upside down crucifix. But it wasn't like I didn't find it to be that effective. I will say that it is kind of sympathetic to the witch at first, though. Like yeah, before the miscarriage, because Snow White is in the wrong in their relationship instead of the stepmother being like cold she like gives her a gift and is like trying to like reach across and then snow white escalates like no i'm gonna take all my dad's attention away from you yeah and it seems like that power struggle triggers the miscarriage in a scene that's actually like beautifully shot yeah Uh, there's like this 360 cam around um sigourney weaver and the lighting changes this like really harsh like white light just on her i don't know i thought that scene was very vivid and then after the miscarriage, she becomes radicalized by the mirror. But I do think that I do think they set up a little bit that she's like nefarious or evil because Snow White runs into her room when she's a child. Oh, yeah. And there's that like like something in the cage and then she runs under the bed and the housekeeper is like killed by whatever is in the The mirror is evil yeah. no matter what. So also, also like when they're kissing and she Snow White sees them kissing, she kind of gives her a look like yeah, I got your dad. I'm your mama now. <laughs> so, you know how, like, Disney's been doing, like, all these, like, villain stories mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, like, they're not that bad. This the is Maleficent. Why. Like, yeah. this would be, like, the evil queen one. Like, Snow White was kind of a little shit. And she was just trying to be a good stepmom. And she's like, whatever, I'm just going to give in to evil. Can I mention something that is related to Snow White, but not this movie, but relates to what Brittany said? So... Neil Gaiman wrote a short story called, I think it's Glass. I love him too. Yeah. It's Glass 
apples and like snow glass and apples i think Uh something in that and it's from the wicked stepmother's perspective and it is also a horror adaptation of snow white and it's so fucked up and weird like snow white is basically this like little ghastly demon girl who is undead (laughs) and the stepmother is really freaked out by her and she sees that her husband is like slowly wasting away and she sees all of these like bite marks on him and then the prince is like a necrophiliac and so he gets with snow white it's really strange (laughs) but yeah i mean that's a dark take yeah like i would love to see that Uh adapted as a film like i think it's really fun to play around with the stories but this one was like this particular adaptation, I don't think, took it far enough. It's a little too faithful until it's way too late. Right. And then, you know, the best parts of the Czech Beauty and the Beast are like the parts where it deviates from anything you can pin on another adaptation of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe it's time to move on to the last film, which, much like Rumpelstiltskin, takes some like wild swings in like wild. <laughs> messing with the lore. <laughs> yeah. And this is probably the biggest deviation from the source material we're going to talk about. I mean, I think without the opening credits, you would not really clue into what fairy tale was being done until like the, the end. end. Well, the fact that the antagonist's name is Bob Wolverton. That's not enough. I feel like that's one of the things that supports it. But like the opening credits tells you what you're watching and it really doesn't not come back around to it until the final showdown. So the movie that <laughs> I picked is Freeway from 1996. Directed by Matthew Bright. Director of Tiptoes. Director of Tiptoes. Classic. (laughs) (laughs) Have we ever talked about that movie on this podcast? Yes, that was your your subject. (laughs) Okay, I thought so. I wonder if this has so... (laughs) Before you're like, I want more dwarves in this movie. Oh my God, we got enough dwarves (laughs) in that movie. (laughs) Too many in Tiptoes. So this is like a modern retelling of Little Red Riding Hood, but kind of... through the lens of like the culture in the like mid nineties was really fucked up and bad. Like I just remember watching Jerry Springer and cops and really exploitative. It was kind of like like white trash's heyday in a way. A really nasty way. It's a really nasty time in American culture. And this sort of takes the little red riding hood story and just uses it as a, Vehicle for like subversive commentary on American culture and society. And it stars Reese Witherspoon, who plays this girl, Vanessa. She's a, she's failing in English. She can't even talk about like the cat drinks the milk, you know, like she's illiterate. Yeah. She's yeah. illiterate. She's <laughs> like fucking great. <laughs> yeah. She's so, and, you know, the school system is failing her. Yeah. Her mom is like drug addict, prostitute. Her stepdad is like a child molester. He's making moves on her. And she eventually like goes on this journey because her mom is like, are lo- they're locked up and social workers come in. They try to take her away and she handcuffs a social worker to the bed and she escapes. And she's like on the run to her grandma's house who lives in a trailer park. And along the way, she meets a guy picks her up on the side of the highway after her car breaks down. And it's Bob Wolverton, played by Keith Sutherland, who's a child psychologist for like a boy's school or whatever. 
It was a great, my favorite part of the film, this great segment towards the beginning where it's sort of a cat and mouse where he's doing his psychologist thing and trying to get her to open up emotionally and talk about all her trauma. And then, and we know very early on that he's a serial killer who's been like picking up women and killing them and raping them on the side of the road. And they play this game where he like reveals who he is. He's the big bad wolf. And she, cause she's a badass in this movie. She shoots him from a gun. She got from like her boyfriend or whatever. And just like fucks him up. Like his face gets messed up. He's like in a traction apparatus and she gets put on trial and of course found guilty because no one believes her because she's been in the system and she goes to prison. She escapes by killing a police officer and goes to her mother's house or grandmother's house to confront the big bad wolf who is like killed and raped her grandmother and they have the showdown and we all know how the story ends. So this movie is so dark. The comedy in here is like bleak. And I don't know. I feel like when people talk about dark comedies, like we recently watched some Todd Salon Mm -hmm. movies. This is about like as pitch black as comedy gets. And I thought it was hilarious and fucked up and a really good takedown of what the culture looked like in the 90s, like we talked about at the beginning. And Reith Witherspoon in here just lights this movie on fire. Like, yeah, she's white trash, but like you root for her because she is in these like systems, whether it's like social workers or the prison system or just like being a marginalized person in society. And She's just like a badass, kicks ass. Calls like everyone a dumbass. Dumbass. <laughs> really and really like sympathetic. And like Keith Sutherland is like hamming it up, being like really awful. And I I really enjoyed it. I think it is a movie that probably will like polarize people because it does deal with some really nasty. I mean, there's a lot, there's jokes about pedophilia, right. ra- racism. There's like N-bombs that are dropped. Oh, yeah. Lots of slurs, yeah. Lots of slurs. Jokes about the handicap. Jokes about drug addiction. This it- was um, exec produced by Oliver Stone Yeah, around the same time as like Natural Born Killers and U-Turn, which I know we both watched recently. And it's got that by- same kind of like just nasty like layer of grime on top of everything. Yeah, But I do think it's getting at, again, like if you grew up in that culture of the mid-90s and how like depraved and how bad it was this is like a really good subversive takedown of that i always forget also like how great an actress young reese witherspoon Mm -hmm. was oh yeah one of my favorite movies that she ever did is the man in the moon i've seen that it's she plays not the same character but it's like she has this thick southern accent she's way more innocent in that movie than (laughs) she is in this movie but she plays both of those roles at the same level. Like, she's so good. And it was, like, I was looking forward to, like, every line that she was speaking in here because it was so sassy and, like, witty. And, I mean, everything she was going through was so fucking sad. And you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. But she was such, like, a strong character that, I don't know, she was such a badass. What, what was that Laura Dern movie? Oh, oh where she huffs paint? Yeah. 
uh, Citizen Ruth. Citizen, yeah. It reminded me a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like that brand. Complicated of, character. Yeah. yeah. You know, like one funny line that I've been thinking about a lot is like she's servicing a John or whatever. And he's like, you know, oh, I'm claustrophobic. And she's like, yeah, I get claustrophobic when I'm sucking strange men's dicks. You know, like <laughs> I like also uh, she's watching her victim on the news, Bob Wolverton. Yeah. Uh, and she starts impersonating him. She's like, my dick don't work good, but at least I haven't lost my smile. Yeah. His face is like permanently like right. contorted. Yeah. And when she sees him, of course, he's like, God damn, Bob, you got to be with the ugly stick. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, like, yeah. She's vicious. She yeah. it's it's a vicious, vile movie. She also has that like John Waters line reading where she's like, I'm pissed off and the world owes me. Yeah. yeah. So it's like everything she does is justified just by how like yeah. much shit she's had to deal with in her early life. Yeah. I really love <laughs> I really love this movie. I don't know. I think normally I would be put off by everything that James just described, but it felt it did feel like pretty equal opportunity and and true to the mood of that time. And I yeah. also like it as an adaptation of Red Riding Hood because it's like in that story she's this innocent girl who's kind of waylaid and you know there you could like there are like rape metaphors in that story yeah and a loss of innocence and in this it's like her world is so fucked up that she's like already at the the ground level like she's been exposed to all of the horrors of the United States by the time she's like seven, you know? So the movie is her trying to find like a semblance of safety and home. And her grandmother is the last person alive that she can go to. And when she finally gets to the trailer park that she lives in, it's like very idyllic and kind of saccharine. And there are like little pinwheels everywhere, you know? So it's like, she's trying to get back a sense of safety and you know it's it's not going to happen and where it's subversive too i think maybe the message of the original story is like kind of like pinocchio like trust authority because she's told to go down this yeah. one path and, and not and to stray not to go into the woods and she goes into the woods and meets the wolf and in here it's like authority are the people fucking her over right. it's the police the social workers it's like her mom her mom yeah. like all the Things around her, all the institutions are rotten. And so she's just like, fuck it. I'm going to do it on my own. Uh Right. I'm now remembering that we just did In the Company of Wolves on this podcast as well. Yeah. It subverts it in the exact same way where it's like the grandma tells her not to trust men. And it's like the wrong lesson. Yeah. It's a different lesson than this movie, but it's the same subversion of like, you don't actually have to listen to people who are older than you just because they're older than you. Yeah. Like the entire world is her woods and she's like, how do I get back to something else? I do wonder at what point in the production they decided to add those opening credits, though. Like, the opening yeah. credits are these, like, kind of notebook-style drawings. It's like underground comics. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like a sexy yeah. Little Red White Riding Hood. It's like <laughs> underage sex workers, upskirt shot yeah. angles of them being chased by werewolves. And between that, the Bob Wolverton name, um, when she leaves the you know, motel, she has a little red basket, which yeah. is yeah. a funny way for her to pack. And then also the final showdown where he's in grandma drag. Those are really it. Like, I feel like it was around the time that um, Reese Witherspoon is in prison and she's going back and forth with Brittany Murphy. Who's this like lesbian cellmate 
uh, who she's negotiating whether or not she'll make out with. I, lo- I love that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I won't. We're not going to have sex, but I'll make out yeah, with whatever. you. I'm bored. Uh, <laughs> I, first of all, love Brittany Murphy. Anything she's in, I'm yeah. like excited to see her. Uh, but it was around that time in the movie where I like remembered that I was watching a little Red Riding Hood story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I had completely forgotten for about 30 or 40 minutes. Um, well, especially too, because like she ends up shooting the wolf like halfway through right. the movie. And he does come back. But yeah, I really think those opening credits are essential for you to know what you're watching. Yeah. And I really wonder when they added those. <laughs> like if that was something that a producer was like, we need some kind of clue. Right. A guiding map, or if that was like the plan all along, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that'd be. They just watched the film. They're like, "Oh boy, this is not clear right, right. <laughs> at all until the I, end." I yeah. do think they're important though, because like yeah. knowing in the back of my head that I'm watching Little Red Riding Hood and what that story means to me as I'm watching all this yeah. white trash drama. Like I kept like thinking about what is this story it was, like, about? Priming us, yeah, of, yeah. like where to. It's important. It's essential to yeah. work. Yeah, she also does have a red jacket. That she wears. She does. And little golden bear earrings, too. I noticed that. And, yeah. you know, that was one of the things that made me feel like sick to my stomach is like how much of a little girl she is. Right. Yeah, and she's those, 15 yeah, in the story. Men are fucking horrible monsters. Yeah. And I guess that it's like kind of part, part of the point of the story, but like every woman in here is a victim of some man. Yeah. And like when you look at her, there's no way in your mind to ever not be reminded that she is a child. Yeah. And like those earrings are fucking a sick costuming detail. Yeah. This yeah. little teddy bear, like gleaming gold earrings. Yeah. I also loved how fervently they referred to cops as pigs. Oh yeah. It's like a little, that was one of my favorite laughs was like, uh, she runs away from, um, the social worker, but at first she hugs the social worker. Yeah. It's like a moment of kindness and she's crying. She goes, I just hate pigs so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got a huge laugh out of me. <laughs> Earlier, I was mentioning, in a vague sense, like, watching movies late night on cable as a kid when your parents aren't supervising you. In a very specific sense, this movie fucked me up as, like, a 12-year-old. Oh, man. I watched it way too young on late night TV, and I got the Little Red Riding Hood thing at that time. So I don't know if I had caught the opening scene, Mm -hmm. or maybe it was in the description on the channel changer, you know? But watching it again... What I did not catch as a kid is how deeply fucking sad this movie is. It's sad. Yeah. As a kid, I was like, wow, this is shocking. It's upsetting. It's adult. You know, like it's very risque and like upsetting, but not upsetting in a way that now I just feel so bad for yeah. every character in this movie. Because everything that happens in this movie is real. Real. And yeah. it still happened. Yeah. We're still living. Like, it's not that different from the Florida project, really. And that's like, yeah, Florida yeah. Verite, yeah. you know? Yeah. And this is coming at it from like, like it's funny, like you're laughing to not cry because it's so awful what she goes through in God, this movie. There's that early scene where like her mom's getting arrested and it's like her whole world is crumbling and she has a moment of like tenderness with her mom where she, her mom's in handcuffs. Mm-hmm. It's it's Amanda Plummer who's a great actress. Yeah. And she like lovingly puts a cigarette in yeah. her mom's mouth and lights it for her and gives her a hug. And as much as like the movie is that shouty John Waters style dialogue exchanges, like those little moments are like very human and real. And mm-hmm. as an adult, I found it a lot more heartbreaking than I did when I liked the transgressive quality of it yeah. as a kid. And the ending is so was so gutting to me. It was just like like she's trying so hard to just have like a stable life. Like that's all she wants. And yeah. she just like can't have it. Like 
her walk into the trailer to see her grandmother is shot so beautifully and then like seeing him in the bed with that like bright pink shower cap and the bright green blank yeah. it's all taken from her in the like a really upsetting like harsh visual of the grandmother oh my god yeah with her like mouth open yeah it's the whole time i just kept thinking about how like everyone fails fucking kids yeah yeah you know she is set up for failure like the people who are supposed to protect you are your mom and your dad yeah and her mom isn't her mom is like literally letting her boyfriend like fuck her and sexually assault her she has no protection from her you know, instead of, like, authority looking at that and be like, how can we help this kid? It's yeah. like, oh, let's throw her in jail. She's being bad. That actually resolves a lot like how the Florida Project resolves. Because it's not that yeah. different of a setup. But Sean Baker has those endings, especially in Florida Project and um, Red Rocket, that, like, look very idyllic and, like, yeah. Yeah. almost like the characters reached heaven. Right. But, like, what you're seeing and what's actually happening in the reality of the film are, like, two separate things. Yeah. The more you think about I, the sadder you get. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I, I, was, I was just amazed at how well this straddled the line of, like, how do we make a subversive movie about exploitation? Yeah. Yeah. Without exploiting the subjects we're talking about. Like, I don't know. It, it, I mean, it does it, but it does. purposefully. Yeah, it's it's a tough. It's in bad taste, act. but I don't know. It gets away with it. Like you know, where the boyfriend, the like gangster guy, gets like shot in a. Yeah. Like it made me think of like so much watching in the nineties of like that. Inside Edition or where they would show the uh, riots in Compton or like gang violence is out of control and they would show dead bodies in the street. It felt like it was trying to get at the way the media talked about these really fucked up things while also doing the thing that it's criticizing. And that's like a really strange balancing act. And I think the movie pulled it off like really well. I think that's hard to do. I don't know. And I, I was trying to figure out why it did feel exploitative, but I was trying to figure out why it didn't bother me because that normally does. And I think like, not that, anything that happens is not real but it felt like each person felt like such a caricature that it almost did feel like a fairy tale you know it's like these are stand-ins for real people in real situations like that it, it was really like a surreal twisted fairy tale to me it's weird that like red rocket felt more exploitative to me in a way like he you know he used like real people quote unquote and just filmed them in their natural something about that feels more exploitative than this i don't think so i don't know I, in, red, in, in red rocket like all of the joke and all of the criticism is, is on, on that main character sure yeah. i don't know i just like i'm conflicted about the exploitation aspect yeah. of this movie but it made me laugh yeah <laughs> like laugh at some shit that i should not be laughing about but it made me laugh and it bummed me out really hard. <laughs> but that's hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like two like totally opposite emotions that are just like coming yeah. together, making us feel weird. <laughs> Sometimes in the span of a single joke. Like really yeah. when she's hugging that <laughs> yes. social worker and she cries, I hate pigs so much. Like I went through both emotions like <laughs> yeah. violently uh, in like a matter of seconds. Sorry, I thought of a better example of what I was trying to say with Red Rocket was that that awful movie with um, God, oh Hillbilly's Elegy. Hillbilly Elegy. Hillbilly you watched Elegy. that? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. That film is supposed. It's supposed to be like we're going to understand what these people are like in Appalachia and lo- essentially like the white trash, right? 
And like that felt so much worse and unreal than this. This movie seemed to be coming from a point of like understanding that that movie didn't, even though that's like yeah. a Ron Howard joint. So that that's a better example of what I mean. That's I was condescending, as opposed to like someone actually like making something that would entertain someone in that position. Yes, like some someone going through this kind of life experience is more likely to enjoy Freeway than they are Hillbilly Elegy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Were you thinking about U-turn at all? Because like, yeah, the sort of like over the top caricatures of like Joaquin Phoenix and Claire Danes in that movie, like. They would fit right in Freeway yeah. to me. Absolutely. They're yeah. so unreal and like hyperbolic. U-turn. It's trashy. <laughs> I like it. But it's oh, good. You say that like <laughs> I'm not going to be like, ooh, I want to watch like it. Say, it's the same thing. Like she's like having sex with her stepdad. Yeah. You it's know. very similar. It's kind of like if Freeway was a remake of Detour. It's okay. How would, yeah. That's a that's great. That's, a, that's good... a great synopsis. <laughs> There's a lot of roads, right? Freeway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. turns, detour, it's probably, it's caution. Probably my favorite Oliver Stone that I've seen. I'm I glad agree. you recommended that to me. And I think his stamp is on this movie in some way as a producer. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if it was just him, you know, giving script notes or you know just lending some money. I don't know, but there, there's an Oliver Stone quality to this movie. But there's also like a John Waters quality to it as well that mm-hmm. feels more Matthew Bright's perspective. Um, yeah, I really, I really liked this. I want to say it was my favorite movie we watched today. That sounds right. Yeah, it was, it was my favorite. My probably my second after Rumpelstiltskin first. <laughs> yes, I enjoyed the ones that deviated the furthest from the source material, like enough to where like we get what this tale is, like we get the foundation. Like, how do you riff on that and like yeah. make something new out of it? I guess this, I was more interested in that. This than riffed just on it the hardest. Yeah, yeah. and like. I don't know. In this movie, it's like the big bad wolf is the police and the system that yes. you brought. I don't know. It had more interesting things to say than some of the other films. Yeah. While also, besides Rumpelstiltskin, probably being the funniest, maybe a little, <laughs> a little funnier to my like particular taste. So yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I think I like this was my favorite. Beauty and the Beast was my second favorite, and I think like I love faithful adaptations and i love taking the core of that story and changing it like adapting it into a different context and i don't i think the reason i didn't care for rumble stilled skin and snow white as much was one was like okay this is basically the same story but we're adding some other stuff yeah. that doesn't really add to it in my opinion and then rumple stiltskin is just like not rumple stiltskin <laughs> so, he just fucketh off right. and then, yeah he fucketh off so yeah i mean i think freeway was the most interesting to me and just like i really really love this like twisting of that story very likely we will return to fairy tales as a topic again i mean in come on. some way <laughs> yeah I like that we keep getting further and further out there. Yeah, I'm thinking of the next fairy tale step. I'm gonna leave it to you, Hannah, for that. I'm gonna dive in. (laughs) I have a there is a list I found on the internet of like a thousand fairy tale movies, and I was like, okay, here we go. Oh my god, we could get four an episode. (laughs) This podcast cannot end until we've touched on every single one. That's right. That's right. Uh, Next week on the show for the Lanyap episode, we are doing Bahubali one and two. Which Ooh. were SS Rajamuli's movies before RRR. Uh, so we're watching six hours of Indian action epic. You're probably yeah. so excited. Oh, in heaven right now. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, as much as I love going to the theater to watch those South Indian action films, like I don't actually catch up with them at home very often. So I haven't seen that, even though I loved RRR, because, you know, I wasn't on this hype train before that was in the theater. 
So if you want to see more from that director, that is on Netflix. And also his movie Ega got added there recently. And it's about a fly. Uh, it's supposed to be very good. Cool. So Double uh, feature with uh, mandibles. Yes. <laughs> uh, you could watch mandibles probably like three times in the amount of time it would take you to watch Ega. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's still very much worth hearing about it.